<laughs> Good morning, everyone. We'll stop saying this at some point, but it is so great to hear babies crying, kids talking, uh, making noise during worship. It wasn't very long ago that this building was empty and quiet and somber, um, so I never want to take that for granted. So super excited, um, not just the kids being dedicated, but um, kids making noise. Parents, I know you can feel pressure. Please don't feel any pressure. We are just excited that kids are among us right now. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 3. See, right on cue, we have a child talking. John chapter 3. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you that you illuminate, you speak to us through your word. We want to see more of Jesus today. And we pray that all of us would encounter you through your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started a series called For Our Advantage, which is a, a, about a two-month series on the Holy Spirit. And we're seeking to answer questions like, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? How do we seek him? And the, the title, For Our Advantage, comes from this verse in John 16, 7, which Jesus said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so we want to spend the rest of the summer just learning more about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Who he is, what he does, and how we seek him. This morning we are going to focus in on one very specific thing that God the Holy Spirit does. And that is he gives spiritual life. He is the one who makes us spiritually alive. So to get the gears turned, I want to ask you a couple questions about your own personal experience. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to think about this. How did you become a Christian? How did it happen? How did one day you didn't believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and then one day you did? What happened? What are the details? What is the, the, the sudden interest that might have happened with wanting to read the Bible or maybe wanting to spend time with somebody who was teaching and talking about Jesus? How did that happen? How did you go from not seeing and understanding Jesus dying on the cross for your sins to seeing it as one of the most precious, if not the most precious realities in your life? How did you go, this was my experience, from trying to read this book and it being very, very, very confusing to being able to read it and actually understand parts of it? How did you begin to be able to hear God's voice through his word? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who drew you to himself. He's also the one who opened your eyes to see Jesus. He's the one who gives spiritual life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And to do so, we're going to drop in on a conversation with Jesus and a religious leader, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. So if you have your Bible, look at John 3. And we're going to read 
verse 1 through 5, and then we'll eventually make it the whole way to verse 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was part of what was called the Sanhedrin. He was an important Jewish figure. This man came to Jesus by night. And he said to Jesus, he said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I want to set the scene. The Pharisee, Nicodemus, he was a very well-educated man. He was very well-educated in the Old Testament Scriptures. And when it says that, that he came to, to Jesus at night, there's probably one, if not two, implications that. The first is Pharisees did not think highly of Jesus as a whole. And so they, they didn't really want to associate with Jesus unless they were arguing with him or trying to put him to the test or put him in a trap. And so, most likely, Nicodemus wanted it to be a private meeting, so he didn't take heat from his fellow uh, Pharisees, his fellow Sanhedrin council members. John also uses light and darkness throughout the book of John, and it could be that it's also symbolic of we have a religious leader who knows the Old Testament, but he's actually living in spiritual darkness. In fact, he can't even see Jesus the Messiah who's right in front of him. So I want you to think of how shocking this would be. So we have a number, a handful of college professors at our church. So a number of you have PhDs and you've, you've studied hard, you've earned it, and then you've, you've done things in your field. Well, for the Pharisee to come to Jesus, it would be the equivalent of a very accomplished PhD person going to a high school dropout and asking them for advice because they know enough that this high school dropout has something going on that is very different and somehow they're extremely knowledgeable in their field of study even though they have none of the credentials whatsoever. And that's what's happening here with Nicodemus. See, he comes to Jesus and he says this in verse 2. He comes at night and he says to him, Rabbi, so that's teacher. So Nicodemus is actually showing Jesus respect by that title. Teacher. We know that you are a teacher come from God. So regardless of your lack of credentials, you've come from God. For why? No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus was humble enough to say, it's obvious this man has come from God. He's doing miracle after miracle. Something is happening, and we should learn from him. Now, not all the Pharisees shared that opinion, but Nicodemus did. And so he humbles himself, and he talks to Jesus. Now, what Jesus says in response is not what Nicodemus would have thought. He might have thought, well, Jesus is going to tell us, yeah, this is, this is how I learned these things. This is how these things happen. But instead, Jesus begins to challenge Nicodemus and show him 
his spiritual need and show him his lack of spiritual sight and insight. Look at John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, literally means born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that is his first response to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you need a spiritual awakening to see the kingdom of God. You need a spiritual awakening to know that Jesus, the man speaking to you, is the very Messiah that the Old Testament promised. You need to be made alive spiritually. And we're going to see that this caused Nicodemus some confusion. And he didn't, he didn't quite get it. But what was true for Nicodemus is true for all humanity. Every single man, woman, and child needs to be made spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit. Listen to how Paul describes our spiritual condition prior to trusting in Jesus. This is in Ephesians 2. So this is bad news before we get the good news. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And he's talking about the spiritual condition. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. The passions of our flesh are those sinful cravings that, that come in our hearts and minds that, that we give into. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, Nicodemus, it's not your knowledge of the Old Testament. It's not your ability to talk through all the genealogies in the Old Testament. It's not your ability to cite large portions of the Old Testament from memory that makes you right with the living God. It's actually being made alive by God. Being made spiritually alive by God the Holy Spirit that will then give you sight and faith to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. What was true for him is true for us. So many of you watching or in this room may have experienced that already. And so if you have trusted in Jesus and turned from your sins, you have been made spiritually alive. Maybe some of you, you something's happening. You don't know how to describe it. And you feel like there's a new sudden interest in the things that the Bible talks about, in the person of Jesus. Well, that is God the Holy Spirit beginning to draw you to Himself. That experience for me happened when I was 19. I had no interest in God, had no interest in the Bible. And then He began to put an interest inside of me. He began to show me the things I was living for would never satisfy. I didn't come up with those ideas. God did. So Nicodemus is there. He's, he's thinking. And he's trying to consider what Jesus is saying. And Nicodemus would have been a highly intelligent man. And listen to what he says to Jesus. It's, it's comical. So Jesus just said, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus, a very well-educated man, this is his response. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, look at me. I'm a, I'm a big guy now. 
This is impossible. See, he was thinking he was talking about human birth. He actually had no idea what Jesus was talking about. I don't get it, Jesus. And maybe that's where you are right now. You don't get it. Well, if you continue to seek the Lord, cry out to the Lord, ask Him to show Himself to you, you will get it. He will answer those prayers. But Jesus is patient and He's, he's persistent. He's going to teach him. Listen to verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, what I'm trying to tell you is so important that unless you get this, unless you experience this, you're actually outside of the kingdom of God. You're actually outside of God's family. So the question for us is get what? What does this mean? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. If you do a little Google search on this verse, you'll get a lot of opinions of what this born of water particularly means. And so there's debate about it. Does it mean baptism? Does it mean natural birth? Does it mean, what does it mean? I think what it means, and you can study for yourself, is I think it's a reference to the Old Testament. And I think it's included in the Old Testament language of being cleansed and made new by God's Spirit. And a verse to consider is Ezekiel um, chapter 36, verses 24 through 27. Ezekiel writes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is cleansed and washed, unless one's heart is changed from a heart of stone, hardened and cold to a heart of flesh, unless one has a sudden ability to actually keep God's commands that we don't naturally have. The next few weeks, we're gonna, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit changing us and making us different and making us more like Jesus. Well, that is only possible when we have the entry point of becoming alive in God's Spirit. Now, you may have a different take on those verses and study them. We can dialogue about them. But it is crystal clear that Jesus is definitely talking about God's Spirit awakening and making us alive. Ezekiel also says this in chapter 11, verse 19. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Here's the good news. If you are stuck, let's say you are behaviorally stuck, you don't know Jesus yet, you are angry, you're fearful, 
you're just enslaved to all kinds of different things. You feel like, I can't change. I've spent money and read books and spent hours trying to get help to change, and I can't change. I don't seem to be able to move an inch. Well, that can all change with an encounter with God, the Holy Spirit. And if you are a Christian and you feel stuck, we're going to get into that more next week. But good news for you. If God's Spirit is inside of you, you can change as you respond to His work and His Word. So the, con- the conversation continues, which brings us to the second point. Only the Holy Spirit can give spiritual life. Only the Holy Spirit can give real, genuine spiritual life. There is nothing else in the world that can give spiritual life. Only God himself. So look at verse 6. Jesus is going to continue to patiently teach Nicodemus. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Has to happen in order to have a relationship with the Lord. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How how can this be? See, for us to understand Nicodemus' dilemma, he would have put a lot of hope and a lot of stock into his Jewish heritage and lineage. And he would have have put a lot of hope in that reality. And by this point in Jewish history, there was a a mingling of works and faith, and it was kind of all tangled together. Now, he was a Pharisee. They believed in eternal things to come. They believed in an afterlife. But it was all kind of twisted together. And so Jesus is really rocking his world. He's, He's dismantling a lot of the things that he would have believed. None more important than you must be born again. You must be made alive. The only way to truly see Jesus and put your trust in him and want to turn from your sins is by encountering the Holy Spirit. I remember the year before I became a Christian, a friend of mine became a Christian. And it made me so mad. It, it just bothered me. It, it was just like something I couldn't stop thinking about. If you ever had like a, a rock in your shoe or something stuck in your, your teeth, and it just was bothersome. And it wasn't, I didn't know if it was good or bad. It just bothered me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I knew what he was like before he met Jesus, and I knew he was like, after he met Jesus, I knew it was real. I knew something radically changed because he was very, very, very different. But I couldn't see it at the same time. I couldn't see how Jesus had anything to do with me, my life, the life to come, how it had anything to do with people around me. I was just as blind as a bat. Couldn't see it. And maybe that's your experience. You just can't see it yet. But you're interested. The Lord will honor that. Now, if you can see it, you need to celebrate that all the time because you didn't 
You didn't one day just make yourself see Jesus as your Lord, King, and Savior. No, God the Holy Spirit entered your life and made you alive. Listen to what John says in John 1, verse 11 through 13. So as we're thinking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus is using the analogy, it's like the wind just blows wherever it wants. We can't see the wind, if you ever thought about that. You can't, you can't see wind. You can see the effects of wind, but you can't see wind. You can't say, oh, there it is. Oh, no, there it is. You can just see the effects of it. Well, the Holy Spirit is like that. And John says this. He came to his own, to the Jewish people, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, for all who trusted in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the lineage, not of the Jewish heritage, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is good news for everyone. Anyone who trusts in Jesus is welcomed into God's family. No matter who you are, no matter how messed up your family background is, no matter how complicated your personal life is because of choices and decisions you have made, if you turn and trust in Jesus, you are brought into God's family. One of the things that I want you to get, particularly those of you who were saved by Jesus at a young age, who, by God's grace, didn't do maybe wild and crazy things, I want you to get how miraculous your story is, your testimony of Jesus is. I want you to, to really appreciate the miracle, what the Bible calls a regeneration of God making you alive. You experienced an incredible miracle, which is an expression of God's love and grace and mercy to you. But I think at times, unless it's wild and has colorful background to it, we can kind of think, ah, oh, it's not, it's just not that incredible. So I'm going to try to persuade you. So from Titus chapter 3, Paul writes this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, that's God making us alive, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The moment you became a Christian, God's Spirit was poured out in your life. You went from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That was a powerful, miraculous experience. And it may have happened as a five-year-old in a Sunday school class with three people in it. And you were there, and all of a sudden, the good news of Jesus made sense, and you responded. May it happen when you're visiting your grandma on summer vacation, and she prayed for you and prayed with you. But when that happened, something miraculous happened. And I want you to understand that because it will expand your view of how big God is, how much he loves you, how much he is for you, how incredible his grace and power and mercy have been and will be in your life. 
I remember when I was a college student, a bunch of us drove to New York City to, to uh, do ministry stuff with this ministry, and I got assigned to the soup kitchen crew. So we get a little prep pep talk, and uh, the guy looked like a regular guy, didn't look like a wild guy at all, and he's, he just gave us all a little talk, and we're all college students from Indiana, Pennsylvania, and now we're in the heart of New York City, kind of the, the broken, dark side of New York City. And he said something to, to kind of get us motivated. He's like, now don't worry if you haven't been in jail, if you haven't broken the law, if you haven't run from the cops, if you haven't sold large amounts of drugs. Just be yourself, tell your story. Well, okay, um, we can do that. We'll tell him about Jesus. So then he gets up and he goes first. And he did every bad thing in the world. So he, he's been in jail, he's been selling drugs. I mean, it was just like the list went on and on. I thought, well, why'd you go first? <laughs> and now, now we're just, ah, we're from Indiana, Pennsylvania, a little small town. Um, but it, it, it did something, especially for the people that had no really big, massive regrets in their life, thinking, oh, I don't know if I have quite the story that this guy has. If you know Jesus, you have quite the story. That's the point. If you know Jesus, you have experienced the miracle of miracles when God made you alive. Some of you may have heard of Charles Spurgeon, the the famous British pastor who lived in the 1800s. He did not grow up in a life of crime. He grew up in a pastor's house. He had a grandfather as a pastor. In his spare time, he would read large volumes of Puritan books that would be very difficult for many of us to read. And yet he didn't know Jesus as a teenager, and it bothered him. He didn't do many bad things. He just didn't know Jesus. And like Nicodemus, he was seeking Jesus at a point in his life. And what happened one day, there was a snowstorm. So he was planning on going to a particular church. And because of the snowstorm, he went to a church that was closer by. So he goes in the doors, and as he describes it in his book, My Conversion, uh, he says it was a primitive Methodist church. And the guy speaking actually was not a pastor, Because of the snow, the pastor didn't come. He said the guy spoke for about 10 minutes. And all Charles Spurgeon remembered was the man said, look to Jesus. And he looked to Jesus for the first time. God's Spirit awakened him, opened his eyes, and he was born again. From the simple command, look to Jesus. Now, if you Google Charles Spurgeon, there are more sermons and books about Charles Spurgeon than you have time in the rest of your life to read. He was a very prolific writer, preacher, and influencer for Jesus Christ. He got this. He understood the miracle of being made alive. My hope is that you get this. Because if you get this, you'll understand. I have a, a story to tell. I have a treasure to share. The Apostle Paul also a Pharisee before he knew Jesus, writes this in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He makes us alive, and we need to thank him and praise him for that reality. Now, the conversation is still happening with Nicodemus and Jesus. And Nicodemus is 
still scratching his head. How can these things be? How can what you're saying, Jesus, be true? Jesus is going to help him. See, and it brings us to our third point, which is this. Mankind has always been in need of spiritual life and sight. Humanity, since the fall of man, has always been in need of spiritual life and sight. And see, Jesus is going to raise the bar for Nicodemus because Nicodemus is just not a regular guy in the community. He is a teacher of God's Word. And Jesus has a higher bar for him. Look at verse 9 and 10. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Now keep in mind, we got like high school dropout and PhD. And the high school dropout is now correcting the PhD proven guy. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. In other words, the problem, Nicodemus, isn't with what I'm saying. The problem is with you. You should know better. Why should Nicodemus know better? Why is Jesus even saying that? How, how is Nicodemus to know better? Well, if you, you're around here a lot, you know that both Sean and I um, are in the middle of pursuing degrees at Midwestern Seminary, online degrees. He's much further in the process than I am. And, but we both had to take um, the same class, which was a New Testament survey class. And one of the things you have to do in these online classes every week is you have to do what's called discussion posts. So you type in your, there's a question, you answer the question, and then you respond back and forth with your classmates. So both Sean and I had to answer this question for a New Testament survey class. I had this class last fall. And here's the question. You'll see how this connects to where we are in the story of Nicodemus. What Old Testament background should Nicodemus have known for understanding Jesus' teaching about the new birth in John 3? That was the question. And as I'm preparing this sermon, I thought, Sean and I were talking, oh, we, we actually did some homework on this question. I have an answer to this question. Prior to this class, I probably would not have had an answer to this question. But I'm not going to read you all of my answer. I'll read you a little bit of my answer. The point is, from the Old Testament, there were many hints and sometimes really blatant teachings about the new birth. So I'll just read you a little bit of how I responded. So, we're on our little online classroom. This is what I wrote. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus should have been familiar with the general idea of the new birth from various passages in the Old Testament. The Old Testament uses the imagery of God giving birth to the nation of Israel. Israel rebelling and being restored through rebirth. And we had to read this rather large dictionary called the Dictionary of Jesus in the Gospel. So some of these ideas came out of there. The scripture use of this language is found in the book of Deuteronomy for the first time in the formation of the nation of Israel. So if you look up De- Deuteronomy 32, 18 through 20, you'll get this language of new birth. Then I went on to say, and I won't read this whole section, but Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah all use new birth language to talk about God's faithfulness in contrast with Israel's rebellion, God's restoration. Israel, God's firstborn, 
is seen as one in need of new creation, new exodus, new birth. Remember when we were in Exodus, they got the law, they couldn't do it, they crashed and burned, they're making um, a golden calf and bowing down to it. See, the law wasn't enough. The problem wasn't the law, the problem was the people. The problem is our nature. We need something to change us. I conclude my post by saying the cleansing restoration described in Jeremiah points to a new covenant after Israel turns from idolatry and returns from exile. This new covenant will come with a heart transformation from the inside out, resulting in a new people living for the glory of God. Probably not, but if you want to see more of it, I can send it to you. But the point is, it's, it's throughout the, the Old Testament. The idea that God has to give us life and change us from the inside out. The Old Testament law could not do that. I mean, think of it even in our day and age. Rules do not change people. We have a local jail and a state prison that has lots of people in it. And if you ask those people, did you know what you did to get in here was against the law? Did you know when you did that that, that you're actually breaking the law and you could end up here? They're going to say, well, sure. Because <laughs> the law isn't powerful enough to restrain their own impulses and desires. Something was ruling more powerfully inside of them than dealing with the potential consequences of getting caught and reaping the consequences. See, throughout human history, there have been all kinds of attempts to restrain behavior, change behavior, and even... It's not new in our day and age, but it's prevalent. Even change the, the rules about what is considered good and what is considered bad. We're not the first culture to kind of flip those upside down. So no matter what people come up with to solve those problems, or no matter how passionate the call to, we just need to love one another is, if something doesn't happen inside of us, no amount of calls to love or things on Instagram that look, you know, in nice cursive language, it's not going to change us. It's not going to change us as individuals. It's not going to change us as a whole. We need an encounter with the living God, which is why God the Holy Spirit coming was to our advantage. It was to our advantage to be transformed from the inside out. Listen, look at John 3. 11 through 14, or through 15. We're coming to an end here. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. I have told you earthly things. You do not believe them. How can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus saying, I've come from heaven, and I will return to heaven. And I am the Son of Man that the prophet Daniel spoke about. And then he goes on to say, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is saying, just like the serpent being lifted up in the Old Testament brought healing, so will Jesus Sinless God and man 
being lifted up brings salvation to all to look to him. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Nicodemus, he was fuzzy in his understanding, but he was interested. And so Jesus was teaching him. He was showing him. And the the centerpiece of this whole discussion with Nicodemus isn't the Holy Spirit makes us alive. It's the Holy Spirit makes us alive to see Jesus. To see Jesus, the King, the Savior, the one who came to seek and save that which is lost. And Jesus came because He loves us. Jesus died on the cross because He loves us. Jesus rose from the grave because He loves us. And Jesus ascended into heaven because He loves us. Because He knew when He ascended, the Holy Spirit could be poured out in mass. And all of God's people would be the dwelling place for God. And so, if you know Jesus, I want you to be so aware that God the Holy Spirit made you alive. If He made you alive, He's going to be with you. He's going to help you. He's going to be near to you. He's going to hear you when you call out to Him. When you read His Word and you don't understand it, God the Holy Spirit is going to help you to understand it. When you read His Word and you do understand it, but you think, that's impossible. I cannot love my enemy right now. God the Holy Spirit will make that possible. He will change and He will work. And the greatest thing He's going to do is show you the greatness and majesty of Jesus Himself. Let's have the band come up, and I want to read this passage from Daniel because Jesus refers to Himself in this conversation as the Son of Man. And He gets this from the Old Testament. Listen to Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. In other words, there's an eternal kingdom with an eternal king. And if we trust in him, we'll have eternal life forever. Let's stand and pray, and then we're going to sing a final song. Father, thank you for devising this plan of sending your one and only innocent and perfect son to die on the cross for our sins and and rise from the grave. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you gave us sight to see, ears to hear, faith to believe grace to turn from our sins. Lord, would you please open any eyes that are blind in this room that can't see you yet, or anybody watching online. Give them spiritual sight. For all of us who can see, may we go home rejoicing, praising, and thanking you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.